Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And if you're enjoying these episodes that I bring to you, I'd like to invite you to come meet me live in person. I'll be one of 27 speakers at the Afterlife Research and Education Symposium, September 15th through 17th in Scottsdale, Arizona. I promise there is nothing like it on planet Earth with the speakers that will be coming to you, not only about proof of the afterlife, but cutting edge information, how people are getting in touch with their loved ones, and some even information information about uh, preparing for end of life, which is necessary. So if you're interested, visit afterlifestudies.org to find out more. Today on the show, I'm pleased to introduce you to Alec Laidler, a financial services professional living in England who had a near-death experience, but says that he experienced his greatest awakening after losing his wife, Pat, to breast cancer in 2011. He's the author of two books, Granddad, You Have a Message, and Granddad, You Have a Message Too, Through the Eyes of a Child, and he's currently working on his third book. His website is granddadbooks.com, and I know there are some words of inspiration for all of us in this episode today. So, Granddad Alec Laidler, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I find your story very important, and I'm excited to hear more about you and, and how this all came about. Would you first, maybe Alex, start off with uh, telling us about a little bit who you are, where you live, and a little bit of your past before you got into writing about the afterlife? Okay, well, I've recently moved to North Wales, um, a place called Anglesey. And I, I live in the port town of Holyhead, which is the ferry town between England and Ireland. Oh, okay. Or Wales, sorry, Wales and Ireland. All right. Um, this was a move I had to make. Uh, I lived in the West Midlands in England uh, on, after my wife, you know, passed away. Tried to put my life back together again. Found it very, very difficult to m- not move on, but... To, to carry on and Pat's still a very important part of my life she's part of everything I do but I couldn't I couldn't do other things I mean to have a girlfriend another girlfriend I mean I'm not a young chap but I still like female company and I found it really difficult to have female company in my in my home yes and to move up the up the road sort of thing wouldn't have done it it turned out that my wife's sister, who, who lived in Holyhead, had got leukemia, and I was coming up every other weekend to look after her and husband and help him, teach him to cook and whatnot. And I just fell in love with the place. And I live, I look at my bedroom window, I can see the sea, I walk the beach every day. Um, I've lost five stone in weight wow and i am as healthy now as i've ever been in my life and i am happy wow that's terrific it grief i know personally is the worst pain i've ever felt and i'm assuming and i've not been in a loving relationship with a partner for many years to know even how much worse that pain is can you you don't have to dig up all the past memories of of course but um maybe a little bit about pat and um and what and what happened well pat was a fabulous woman i mean i'm going to say that but she truly was um she was a one-off woman fell in love with the very first day i met her oh and i've got to say it was the same um, she rang me the day after I met her and she said something along the lines of, don't say anything. Um, I love you. I'm going to marry you. We're going to be together forever. And, so, and and I said, oh, yeah, can I just remind you, you're married. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and I said, look, I don't do married women. It's not my saying. I'm sorry, um, the lovely words to hear, but it's not for me. Right. 
and and I I then set about castrating the guy who'd given my phone number, and he said, "Well, you know, Alec, it's not always things aren't always what what they seem." And the marriage is very rocky. She's left him three times. He's a he's 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 done nasty things to her. Um, and so I rang her back and I said, "Look, if you sort your life out." and you still want to go out, then I'll go out with you. But other than that, it's not for me. Uh-huh. And about six months later, I was sat in my office, uh, waiting to go on some calls, night calls. I normally switch the phone off because it's sort of a cup of coffee time before I go out, but I didn't. And the phone rang, and it was Pat. And she'd done all the things I'd asked her to do, so what could I do? So we went out, and I met the love of my life. Oh, wonderful. And and we talk about grief. I mean, I lost my dad when I was 30. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older than that now. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. As you're a granddad, he would be. Yeah. That's <laughs> so cute. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I grieve for my dad. I used to see him in the street and things like that. I imagined I did. But I think now, knowing what I know, I probably did. Um, my mum, I lost some 2003 from a brain tumour, and my sisters and I nursed her over the weeks. I used to travel up to the northeast to do my stint, and the love of a mum is is sort of the nth degree, you know. My niece asked her, if she was ready to die, and she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to go. She said, but I can't go yet. They're not ready. So even at the moment of, a, of about to pass, you know, she was still thinking of her three kids. And I found that, and the, the thing about grief, it is the love. My love for Pat, I can't even begin to describe it. She could have done anything, and she did. (laughs) But it didn't matter because she was happy. And if she was happy, then I was happy. And, um, you know, if we didn't have that love, the grief wouldn't be anywhere near as painful as what it is because it's the love that causes the pain. Yes. The grief is the pain. And we're not grieving for the person that's passed. We're grieving for our loss. We're grieving for the the pain, the hurts, the disbelief, the anger. Yes. That that's caused by someone passing. And I find that it's the love. The love is the glue. The glue that cements us together. Whether we're in this form or in the spiritual form, that love is still there. And that's what keeps us together. And I know that because my wife and I have as much one today as we were when she was here. That is interesting. And I I have not spoken to anyone like you, and I would love to find out what happened Be- before we start talking about that um d- did you indeed have a near-death experience yourself 20 years ago i'd had a, a relationship with another pat another pat. that i thought wow. was the one for yeah, me yeah um but she decided it wasn't for her and i i was grieving to be honest for the loss of someone i thought was going to be with me and I had, uh, I had a, I was taking some pills for a, um, a stiff neck, and they actually eroded the walls of my stomach. Oh. And I had a massive bleed at work. It was, it was, um, I, well, to be fair, I don't remember much about it because I was out most of the time. Which is a good thing. But I, well, I suppose so. But I can remember. Going into work, after being to the doctors, the doctor told me I'd got the flu and to go home again. I couldn't stand being at home on my own anyhow, so I went to work. And my my partner came in and he said, God, I don't know what's the matter with you, but you've just changed three different colours in seconds and you're now a horrible-looking green. 
Anyhow, we decided to go for lunch, which we did every day. And I said, told him he'd have to drive, which he didn't do every day. And I went out to the car and I just collapsed. I had a pain and I just collapsed. Um, and the, the, the next door to me was a butcher and he ran out, picked me up and carried me into the office and then rang for an ambulance. While I was sat in the office, the, I just had this enormous pain. I thought I'd had a heart attack really, but I could feel this surge happening inside of me. And I ran into the, the, the gents and I just, the blood just came up. And I watched my life going down a toilet pan. In the ambulance, I could hear the medics saying, we haven't got a pulse. Mm. And I can remember me saying, but you must have because I'm talking to you. And I was later told that was the moment that I'd passed and come back. Then in the in the hospital, twice in a day, in within the within the twenty four hours, the, the third the, the second time they brought me back. The third time I was stood beside the surgeon while he was actually sorting me out, and I thought to myself, if I get out of this, I'm going to change because I cannot survive the way I am. Well, I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. So I obviously got out of it. And it was like being in a circle, going round and round and round, making the same mistakes over and over again. And the universe at that point decided, Alec, get out of this circle and go into that one. And I did. And at the same time, 20 miles away, a young lady was being told, Pat, get out of this circle and go into that one. And we met. Beautiful. But that was the, 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 outer, the outer bodies. And when I was 11 years old, mm -hmm. living in a mining village in County Durham, I had an outer body experience. While I was asleep, I, I woke up and I found myself in the corner of the ceiling looking down on my body. I never told anybody. I never told, I was, I think I was 30 years old when I told somebody about that. Because to be fair, living in a small community like that, to admit that you've had an out-of-body experience, that have took you away in a way. Oh, they think you're crazy. Yeah, they would have done. So I just kept quiet about it. Wow. But I've always known, my mum used to say to me, you're a strange boy, you are. <laughs> but I knew I was different. I've always known that I was different. When I was in, I, I started work, I used to I used to have to sort drawings and engineering drawings out. And I'd look at things and I'd think, oh, my God, what's this? I'd go home, do you know what? And in the night, I'd dream about it and I'd sort it all out. Go to work the next day and put it together. That's That's incredible. You know, and that's how I used to, my dad and I were very, very close. And on a Saturday morning, my mum worked at a special unit uh, for children who had been burned. And, and, and so she, always, she was always working on a Saturday. But my dad and I were very close. And we'd have the radio on. I'm going back now to 1960, I suppose. We'd have the radio on. And there'd be pop music on and whatever it was of the day. And I'd start singing something else. And the next music on would be what I was singing. Hmm. And he would say to me, how do you do that? And i go, do what? Because I didn't realize I was doing it. It, it, was, it was, there were strange times, to be fair. Once I got married, and, and I've been married more than once, but we won't go into that. Okay. Um, but I have been married more than once. But once I started having a family and a mortgage and stuff, I never had time. And everything just went by the way. And I was pretty successful at work. I've run a good business and we, we sold all that a few years ago because when Pat died, I just didn't want to earn. I, didn't, I don't need money anymore. Right. Um, not that I've got any, but I just don't need money. I don't look at money anymore as 
as a as a thing that I've got to strive to get. The the profits the profit from the two books up to now have all gone to charity. Uh, I don't I'm not doing that in the next one because although I don't need it, Pat has told me it's time I looked after me. But yes. the books up to now, all the money's gone to charity. So and I've stood the cost of the production of the books and, and everything else. But that's by the by. Mm. So well, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no, I'm just thinking uh, I mean so at a very young age you knew there was something different about you and you also got a taste of leaving your body and having you know these different experiences and i can't help but think when we're younger and our mind is more at peace this is when these things come in but then when we start getting busy in life and not to mention all the technology and things happening uh i don't want to say it turns off that channel in our mind but you don't pay as much attention to it because your mind is so busy. Is that right? I believe that. I believe yeah. that when we're born, we are gifted. We have got all the gifts that I use today I had when I was born. And as, as I've gone through my life, all those gifts have been eroded away through television, through um, mass media, through different things. Um, we've been consciously changed and so we don't use those gifts anymore. And we're relearning them. It's all about now we're, we're finding the talents again. I go to different spiritual events on the island here. And some of the kids today have got fantastic talent. I run a, I run a development group. And I say I run a development group. The truth is I run my first development group on Wednesday night. Because I want to show these kids, these young people, just how talented they really are. And they are talented. It's the best group out of all the groups I go to. It is the best group because most people go to these meetings, they want a message, and that's fine. That's what they go for. But I say I'm a medium. I am a medium. I'm a psychic. I'm a healer. I'm a universal being. I'm all of those things. We are all all of those things. And you can't define yourself as just being a medium. Mediumship is just a very small part of an immense thing. It's sort of how big is my mind? My mind is as big as the universe because my mind is the universe. You know, it's... Um, I get passionate about this. Yeah, it's good. I want to see these kids develop the skills that, that I've got because they've got them. They just don't realize they've got them. It's a whole different way to live life, I believe, to know or be tapped into some of these spiritual truths um, than to not acknowledge them, get busy in life, and then... You know, someday you start questioning, is there life after death? Does my life have a meaning? I mean, to have those tools early on in life and have a, a foundation of belief, I think one can live a whole different kind of life. So it's wonderful that you're encouraging these young people in that. But Alec, I want to ask you about how the book came about. What happened after uh, Pat departed this earth that you started um, hearing from her, or how did or how did that come about, and, and what happened? Okay, well, Pat had chemotherapy, which is the 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 done thing. I don't believe in it, and in fact, now she's told me she doesn't believe in chemotherapy. So she, yeah, she okay. believes killed her. Okay, um, but but she had, uh, and she was only ill for twelve months. It was twelve months from the day she was diagnosed till the day she died. Breast cancer. Oh, passed over. Yeah. The last two months, after we were told that she'd got two months to live. But they still gave her chemotherapy. And it made her really ill. In fact, it took us. It took her down. Sure. You know? But while she was in the hospitals all the time, strange things started happening. I'd have whistling in the house. I'd hear music, angelic-type music. But the radio wouldn't be on or the television wouldn't be on. And 
I'm a believer in, in angels. My mum was, and I believe in the angelic zone. And I knew that they'd come to help. The day we had all the family there, to tell them the bad news. The only time we got them all together was if it was something major. The nitty-gritty bits of the illness, we didn't get them involved in. There was no need. And we were stood in the kitchen, and I had my back to the, the, the taps, the kitchen sink, and I was talking to the kids about it, and a hand was placed on my shoulder. And I knew then that we had the help of the angels in our house. And they were there to support us. Going on to the day Pat passed away, the day before, something just, I don't know what it was, in my head, made me ring a friend of Pat's, a lady called Yvonne, um, and ask if she wanted to go and see her in the hospice, Pat was now in a hospice, and she said she did, so I arranged to pick her up and take her. When we went, we talked about this and that, and nothing at all, really, but when we walked into the room, Pat's body was two or three feet off the bed, and it was covered in golden white light, and I'm thinking, what's going on here you know is this something between Yvonne and Pat because I believe Yvonne to be an earth angel so I said look I'll leave it to it I'm going to go and talk to the, the sister so I went out and the sister told me that um, Pat had had a bad night she had internal bleeding and her time was coming very soon when we were in the car going back Yvonne was asking me all strange questions about regression and different things, which I agreed I, I did believe in and things. I'm just going to move forward from that. On that night, we would been out for dinner with the kids and we'd gone to bed early because it had been a long day and we had the call to say we were needed at the hospice. When we got there, Pat's breathing was very heavy um, and I sat down beside her and the kids were all around us and her sister was a, a, a nursing sister was sat at the back and I just told her to calm down she's just calm down and she opened her eyes and I said look we're all here all the families here you're fine it's time to go we all love you but it's time for you to go so just close your eyes, go to sleep, and that was it. She closed her eyes and passed. Wow. I went outside into a corridor to get my to get my breath back, really. But I've got to say, although it was very, very emotional, it was the most beautiful experience I've ever had. I went back into the room, and instead of sitting at the, at the chair I'd been on, I went to the other side of the bed, and I sat there. And I don't know how this happened, but her hand wrapped itself around my thumb. And I could hear her in my head saying, don't go yet, I'm not ready. Just stay a bit longer. And I sat there with her for an hour. And then, then I left the room. On the way home, I said to her, look, you let me know you're all right and I'll be all right. Because I've got to say, Sandra, I've always believed in life after death. It's never been a thing for me. I've always believed. She never. Oh. But I did. Okay. And we used to laugh and joke about it. I used to say I'd come back and haunt her. <laughs> it worked the other way in the end. So that morning when I got up, I rang my sister in the northeast to tell her the news. And she just said, she's passed, hasn't she? And I said, yeah, um, at two o'clock this morning. She said, um, I know she's already been here. She told me what she was dressed in. Her hair was in a bulb. She looked absolutely beautiful. 
And what Pat was doing, Sandra, she was telling the one woman in my life who I would believe that she was okay. And that put the whole family at ease because we then knew that she was okay. The rest, really, of that that part of it was um, that up to the funeral and everything, it was easier because we were at ease, we were relaxed. Uh-huh. The, the the service itself was immense. It was a humanist service. She uh, she wasn't religious. She was a she believed in God, but she wasn't religious. Uh-huh. And um, a daughter, daughter-in-law, and a friend of the family. They stood up and said nice words about her, and you know the church. They were outside. The, the church was just absolutely packed, and it was lovely. But that was the first experience that I knew. That was quickly followed on when a friend of mine died. He was he was a he was distant family, if you like. Mm-hmm. And because the family had come down for Pat's funeral, they were a bit reluctant to travel all the way again to another one. And so I said I would go. And I went to this lad's funeral. And the usual thing at a crematorium. And the vicar said, we'll say a prayer for John. And we all bowed our heads. And I wasn't in that room anymore. I was in a room of white light. And in the white light, there was no floors, no ceilings, no windows, no doors. It was just white light. And Pat was there with her dad. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what was going on. So I lifted my head and looked around. The service was going on. The vicar was in the corner talking about John. And so I put my head back down and I was back in the light. Do you know what? I stayed there. Sure. I never moved. I, I waited until the service was finished, and then I, I and I'd got a smile from ear to ear. Mm-hmm. And I had to I had to stop that because obviously the people around me were grieving for this lad. Mm-hmm. And um, I went and saw the daughter, the two daughters, and I said, "Look, you know my story. I've lost my. Way. I, I I'm not coming to the wake or anything like that. I've done what I needed to do." I wish you all well. I hope to see you all again. And I got in my car. I sat in my car and it just filled with the smell of lavender and flowers. It was absolutely fantastic. And I just said to her, thank you for coming and helping me. After all the events, I always used to ring Yvonne and say, oh, you'll never guess what's happened now. And I rang her and I told her what had happened. And do you know what? She wasn't surprised. Hmm. She really wasn't surprised. Um, And so those were the the first early parts of, but I believe it's the love. The glue that binds us together is unconditional love. And that's what I had for my wife. Yes. I'm not saying my wife had that for me. (laughs) I Now I'm being honest there. Okay. Don't think it was unconditional. It was, it was love. She told me she loved me. She was going to marry me and we we're going to be together forever. And we are. So she must have been spiritual in her own way, really, because she had it right on. But, but the unconditional love came from me. And Pat's love was great, but it wasn't because she was jealous. I see. She had the green eyed monster. And this was down to the past. Yeah, exactly. That's where it comes from. I've written about this, and it's about getting rid of the baggage before you move on. Why carry the weight of all that rubbish around you into a new relationship, a new life, or whatever? Mm -hmm. What is the sense in doing that? Well, it took us two years to get over the baggage, but once we did, we had a fantastic life. It didn't last a long time. We were together 13 years. It didn't last forever in terms of Earth time, but it lasts forever in universal time. It sure will. In fact, she came through to me at a meeting about a month ago, and she said, you can do what you want while you're down there. 
but don't get married again because I'm waiting for you here. <laughs> I've heard the opposite from people as well, you know, that they encourage them to live on their lives, but, oh... Oh, yeah, she's not saying don't live your life. Mm-hmm. My family are very, very proud of what I'm doing. Oh, they must be. And I know that because they tell me. I've, I have done radio before, um, and my very first radio was, was a, lo- a Manchester radio program, Critical Mass Radio, and it was done on the 23rd of December 2013. And... The, the publishers of my books were there because they'd set this interview up with a lad. And my dad, who'd been dead 28 years, was stood in the corner watching me. Alec, I want to ask you how the, the books came along. I mean, did you get messages from Pat? And also, did, it sounds like you, in the process of all this, you've developed your own mediumistic abilities. Is that right in saying that? Yeah, I think so. I, the message, all this started was um, after, I'm just following through a bit from out, out of the books, really, okay. to, 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 to give you an idea of the flow of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, about six months after Pat had passed away, I'd, spent, I'd, I'd lived my life in a bubble. I was oblivious to what was going on outside, really. Um and I didn't bother the kids with it because they got they they were grieving. They got their own grief to deal with. Yes. Oh, we met up from time to time, but I didn't discuss mine. I put the brave face on and everything. But you know what? I was hurting. And there come a time when I I could have self harmed. But I am a very strong character. And I asked for help at a local hospice. They couldn't get a, um, anyone out to me, counsel out to me for a week. In the meantime, the kids and I decided to give some money to a charity that had helped pass, one of the charities that benefits from the books. And so I went to see Yvonne because uh, she had a lot to do with that particular charity. And I rang and asked if I could bring some, bring her something around. And I went round to the house and I met her husband, Paul. Now, she told me he was a medium and I didn't really have a lot of time for mediums, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, he was nice, nice bloke. And in three hours that night, they sorted me out. He showed me a door. I walked through that door. And I knew I would never turn around, and I haven't. He sorted me out. He sorted. I'd got a, a big, big, big overdose of guilt about a relationship I'd had years before. Something that couldn't be put right because that lady had passed away. And um, he, he, he just sorted different bits out, and then he said. I can't there's so much confusion, he said, and it's you. You have got this great big lump of guilt hanging off you. And if you could just see what's beyond that, you are going to have the most amazing life. And I said, well, how do I do that? And Yvonne said, go home, write it all down on a piece of paper, go outside, set fire to it, and say to the universe, I forgive myself. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And I felt this great lump drop off my back onto the floor. And from that day on, I never cried again. I used to go to bed crying and wake up crying. I didn't do that anymore. And when I went to see the counsellor, oh, the, the next day I went back to Yvonne and Paul and I said what had happened. And Yvonne said to me, you know, Alec, mediums, and spiritualists would give their right arm to do what you're doing. To walk in white light. They would give their right arm. You are a very powerful person. Yes. And I can only be a very modest sort of bloke. 
can only go by what she said and believe her. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, and he said to me, I run a, a, a spiritual group on a Wednesday. If you want to come to it, you're welcome. If it's not for you, so be it. But you're welcome to come. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. In the meantime, I went to see the counsellor, the grief counsellor. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, Linda, I don't want to mess you about, but I feel as I'm sorted. I've been to see Paul and Yvonne Kelly, and she knew Paul and Yvonne, and she said, I understand that. She said, but grief is a, is many things, and you need to work your way through it all. So, yeah, it made sense. So we, we had that counselling session. She said, I've got to tell you, there's orbs all around your head, and Pat is very much with you. So we, we did that and we carried on. And I did that for, for six six weeks. I had a point where I had that many spirits coming through my head of a night, I had to tell them to go away and let me grieve. <laughs> and that's because once the universe knows you're open to this, mm-hmm. there's thousands of them out there wanting to get through and give you a message for somebody or other, you know. And it was it was just manic. And Linda said to me, Alec, tell them to go away and let you grieve. You need to grieve. Yes. And I did that. And then when I was ready again, I started it up. Well, I went to my first meeting with Paul. And we did this circle thing. And it was, it was the idea was to see how much energy, spirit energy was there and how much energy there was from the about eight of us, I think it was, seven or eight. I was sat next to an American lady who was visiting one of the other people. And we Paul started off about a lady in the American South who had three kids, who'd lost her husband. She was making a living by digging for gold. And there was a, 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 an a, a American South lady, a, a black lady, um, helping her, um, very colourful, and I, and this girl, it was her grandmother, mm. and that sort of developed. And I'm sat there, I'm just taking it all in, I suppose. And this black American lady, as large as life, appeared in front of me. Well, I was absolutely shocked. Mm-hmm. I just got up and I walked out. Oh, my gosh. I walked out into this this, um, other room, and I sat down collecting my thoughts. I didn't know what had happened to say. I didn't know, did I go to her? Did she come to me? I didn't know what the hell had happened, to be honest. (laughs) And this Jamaican girl said to me, are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not. I, I don't understand. She said, Alec, you don't have to understand, except... You are going to know more and more. You're going to see more and more and more as the weeks go on. So don't worry about it. So I went back in the room and, and continued. That was my first experience of, of um, spiritualism, wow. reading shift. Yeah. You know, and, and it, was, it was strange, but it was exciting. Sure it was. You know, I think that's... The, the thing about it is it was exciting. Not long after that, our, my, the, 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 when I talk about the children, they're my stepchildren, they're Pat's children. Mm-hmm. Um, my, the, the youngest daughter was getting married. Now, I mean, when Pat was alive, she'd said to me, you know, Sue's getting married in July. I said, yes. Yeah. She said, would you mind if I go and buy some clothes and that? I said, no, get out there, go and get what you want, you know. So she bought two dresses, two hats, two pairs of shoes. <laughs> you know what, Sandra? She knew and I knew she wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. But she was going to be part of it. Right. And on every wedding on every wedding photograph, there's me holding a little picture of Pat. Oh. To say she was there. Of course she was. You know? Um... So that that was the thing that the meetings went on and I developed the skill of um, channeling. Words started to come. I never used to use a pad, a writing pad at the meetings. I used to sort of, I've got quite a good memory. Mm -hmm. But then I started words just flowing 
And so I started writing things down. And I went to a meeting with a pad, and they all looked at me because I'd never took a writing pad before. And it was, I'll tell, tell you when it was, it was March the 18th, 2014. And I know that because it's my birthday. Aww. And and I'd gone in, and this uh, one of the girls said, "Well, I've got a, I've got a um, a birthday present for you that I've been told from them upstairs that I've got to get I've got to get for you." And she bought me this beautiful leather-bound book, writing book. And I said, "Well, Jess, I'll tell you one thing: I will use it, but I won't scribble anything." I will write. Everything I write, I'll rewrite in this book. And I did religiously. Every bit of channeling that I did went in the scrapbook. Then it was handwritten into the big book. And then it was put onto Word on the computer. So every book's been written three times, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely got the message. Work, you know. Yes. Uh, and when I'd finished my second book, I took that back to her. And I gave it as a gift to her. That's nice. You gave me as a gift. Well, I've done, I've worked my magic with it. And this is your gift now. And she treasures that. Well, the messages in Granddad, you have a message one and two. Are they short messages, long messages? What kind of things are in these messages? Can I read one too? Yeah, of course. Okay, this is from two, book two. In fact, I've just put this on the internet today, this bit. It's called We Are The Way. Give us grace, energy, purity, and light. Show us the way to reach our goal, our destiny. Allow us to develop in a loving and caring way, mindful of others and their needs, but respecting and being aware of our own. Create for us a world of calm, peace and tranquility where the peoples of the earth live as one in harmony with each other. Who do we ask for all these things? Us. For we are the way and the light. One man, one God. For this is the way. Hmm. And that just came to you and you just wrote down that the words you heard. I wrote it down and I just... I just you know, and that's how it works, you know, and, I, and I've, I've got two of these. I've got another one of these finished, but it won't be published for a while. I've got another one half finished, but that won't be published for a while. And I've just started writing, oh, God, another book, which is Spirit Families of the 21st Century. <laughs> what is that about? Oh, my God. Well, the, the, the second bit, the second chapter is about the spirit family that lives with me here. Well, tell us more about that. Okay, well. Yes. At first, I thought there was just two. There was a lady, Phyllis, and a young boy, nine-year-old, Bammy. And, um, oh, my God, they play havoc with electrics and all sorts of things. But I've been researching them. On the estate I live in, on there used to be a very big house here and it was owned by lord and lady stanley and they had about a hundred staff and my house is built on the garden i i know that phyllis was either by address it's edwardian 1919 1920 1915 that sort of area mm -hmm. And the way she is in her, her deportment and everything, I would say she was the nanny or the housekeeper. Barry dresses in the way I would have dressed to go to school in 1950. Because clothes didn't change very much between the 20s and the 50s because of the two world wars. Okay. Um, and so we were pretty much the same. It was in the, the, the late 50s, the 60s, Carnaby Street, and when clothing in this country really took off. So they're, they're definitely Edwardian. So as she came, she's been to see me a couple of times. She's very reticent. She doesn't say much. It's like, it's like 
pulling teeth, really. The boy speaks, but he speaks in Welsh. Now, I speak Geordie, English and rubbish. <laughs> I don't speak Welsh. But he came through to me uh, about six weeks ago and he showed me a baby. And that answered something for me because she sings lullabies, this woman, in the middle of the night. Well, you don't sing lullabies to a nine-year-old boy. Right. But the baby, that solves that. And then he brought through a chap, a, a Welshman, um, which is his dad. So I've got the whole family here. I've been researching how does one family die sort of all together. I mean, some sort of tragedy, perhaps. Right. Whatever. So I've been researching that, and I find that in 1919, there was a pandemic of Spanish flu that raged through the world. It took about 10 million people altogether. Mm-hmm. And Holyhead wasn't unscathed. So I, after I found that out, I came back, and I was going to bed one night, and she was stood in the corner, and I, I just said to her, what do you know about the Spanish flu? As you get to know me, Sandra, you'll know I don't lie. That spirit came to me, and she put her arms around me, and the energy between the two of us was like a bomb going off. It was absolutely fantastic so so powerful and i thought so that's a yes is it so i believe now that they died from the spanish flu Mm -hmm. i still haven't got a surname for them so finding out exactly it's impossible i did find a picture of the big house with all the staff and i've tried with a magnifying glass to pick them out but it's not a good picture. So that hasn't worked. So I've now asked the universe to help me with this. I talk to the universe a lot. Nothing wrong with that, because even no. when, when you said earlier, when you'd go to bed with a problem and you'd wake up with the answer, you know, yeah. somebody's listening. Yep, yeah, definitely. So I've got that family. Going back, just after Pat died... I started um, to relinquish a lot of my clients. And I'd got a very good client who I'd known for a long, long time, lived in West Yorkshire and on a farm in a Saxon uh, Viking village. And I'd gone, I took a friend of mine, a financial advisor just to meet her and he was going to take over her business and look after her look after her she's quite a wealthy lady and she really did need help so we went up there and while they were talking in the in the front room i was sat at the back of the room a spirit cat ran over my lap <laughs> and i thought what's going on here And the next thing I know, there's this chap stood next to me. He must have been six foot. And he was stocky. He got thick black curly hair. He wore a a ruffled shirt with a, I don't know what they call a a, some sort of tie thing. Riding boots, jumpers, a riding jacket. And he just stood there watching them. And he was just a little bit in front of me. So I don't think he noticed me. And then he was gone. So I never said anything to her because she lived in the place on her own. And I I wouldn't want to frighten her. So within the group, I never said nothing. So within the group, I'd read in a spiritual magazine that that Stanley in County Durham was the spiritual centre of the North East. Well, I've got to say, Sandra, I've lived up there. And even the dead don't stay in Stanley. It's such a dump. (laughs) I hope there's not many people from Stanley listening to this program. However, we were going up there. So I rang this lady and asked if we could stay over on the way up there. Because it's it's about, I suppose, 250 miles from the Midlands. She said, yeah. And she wouldn't have any money. She said, I can't take money off you, all the things you've done for me. 
So we said, okay, we'll take you out for dinner. So we took out for dinner. When we came back, Colin went to bed and Joe and myself were sat talking and a lady appeared looking out the window. She'd got a long dress on, her hair hung way below her bottom and it was tied in the middle of her back with a, a, a ribbon. And she was just looking out onto the, the Yorkshire Dales, which I've got to say is absolutely stunning. I find out that the farmhouse in the 17th century was a creamery. It, it had cows there. It, it, they milked the cows there. They made cheese and butter there and all sorts of things. Anyhow, she then disappeared. And I said to this girl, right, I'm going to bed. So I went to bed and I got into bed and I could smell cow dung. God, it was overpowering. And I thought, where has this come from? This hasn't been a, a farm for 300 years. Where is this smell coming from? And I turned over and the two of them were stood there watching me. They turned to walk away and I just said to him, don't go, what is your name? And he turned and I could hear him saying, John Williams. So I then started, well, the next morning we went downstairs Colin said, anything? And I said, well, yeah, but what about you? He said, I saw my mum last night for the first time in 17 years. Wow. Since she passed away. So that was fantastic. Then I said what I'd seen, and he said, are you going to tell her? And at that moment, this lady came in with a toast and that, and she said, tell me what? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> what have you seen? <laughs> So I told her, she said, well, I'll help you out. And she told me the history of the farm. So this family were living there in this farmhouse as though it was their time. Yes. So they were still in the 17th century. That's crazy. Okay. Wow. And yeah. I'm thinking, well, who the hell did he think I was? Right. Okay. So, a time traveller, perhaps. Don't know. So, I did a bit of research, and I found that um, there'd been a copper mine in the village as well all those years ago. Well, the lady left the farm, and she moved back to Birmingham. So, I asked the universe if I could talk with John Williams of Gunnar and in Yorkshire, and he came. And he told me he was from South Wales, that he was the manager of the copper works, that they lived in a flat in the farm. The upstairs was a flat and that they had a boy. And the lady who owned the farm confirmed to me that another medium had been there and he'd seen a boy. Hmm. So there's a family of three in a farmhouse in West Yorkshire living there today as though it is 1657. That's incredible. Yeah, I had uh, someone on. You tell me, is there, do we die? Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> question, though. I had someone on not too long ago, and he's one of these you know, like ghost hunters, and he helps people cross through the light, and uh, he would call people earthbound spirits i don't know if you're familiar with any of those those terms I know. i'm a gatekeeper what does that mean that means i open the gate and let people through that's what i'm trying to do for this family here okay all right so it's a different language for the same thing like that's help them, help them through gatekeeper. interesting yeah there is no death i'm clear uh, Alec, we only have a few minutes left. I would like you to describe some of the things that are in your books. Granddad, you have a message, one and two, just because I know there's many people listening right now, and what kind of things could they help to find? Is there hope for grief? Is there um, talk about life? Is it talk about forgiveness, lessons? I mean, why would why would we want to read it, or what? What impact would it have on us? Okay, I think the two books, the, mm -hmm. the granddad books, are basically, they are my emotional states and my conscious thoughts and unconscious thoughts. And the, the first book is, is more, 
I'd use the word technical, I think, but that's not quite the right word, I don't think, but it's, it's, it's quite powerful. The second book, Through the Eyes of a Child, is a bit more relaxed because as I was going through the grief, I was becoming more relaxed and, and mm -hmm. I think that affected the way the books came out. The second book has got um, pictures in that my nine-year-old granddaughter drew for me. Um, because the book's through the eyes of a child. Mm -hmm. um, the third book is a journey through the grief and my walk from the dark into the light. And it's written in a way whereby I am talking to you and we're discussing what's happening to me as I go through the book. In the hope that if you or the reader is going through a similar thing, they will come out the other end of the book with a bit of peace that I found. Because that's been my journey through the grief. This third book is really um, a, a healing book. It's about healing. And the hope is... Well, if just one person bought it and they got some peace of mind knowing that their loved one was still with them. Because really, in the time we've used, we have not touched anywhere near what it's all about. No. We haven't. You know, but the books, I believe, they're done in a size, they're small books that fit in your handbag, they go by the side of the bed. Um... You know, the, I'm going to read one to you now. Do you know, you I know? was just going to ask you, could you read one more thing before we finish the show? So you, you read my mind. how I read the books. I don't read them from cover to cover. Multi-consciousness. It's not in the thinking, but in the knowing that our loved ones past are always around us. Look, feel, hear, and you will surely sense their presence. For them to be able to stay with us, albeit in a different form, means as much to them as it does to us. The parallel world is much closer than many of us realise. And, it, and it's not till we cross over that we know just how close it really is. The spirit world is our world, but in a different consciousness. Do not think in terms of one consciousness, for we have many. And so it is not unnatural for us to be able to experience many other things, even though we may not fully understand. So look into your mind, consciousness, and you will find that you, your past loved ones are all around you, for this is the way. That's beautiful. Thank you, Alec, for being our guest today. Thank you, Sandra, for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to follow your writing. And your website is granddadbooks.com. And we can see your books and find out more about you and, and be able to keep in touch with you. It really has been wonderful to listen to your journey and have you share about Pat. And I'm a single gal, so I hope that someday I get to experience that love. Uh, I'm sure you will. Yeah, really beautiful. So thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, and I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. And I hope you invite me back. Oh, of course, of course. And I do a lot of traveling, so I love the can visual. I just, can I just mention one other sure, thing? Sure, of course you can. My Irish friend is going to kill me if I don't, because he listens to you every week. Oh, every, every show he listens to. His name's Paddy Bowes. He's a medium. He is organizing the launch of my book in Ireland for me. I've not launched any of the books in Ireland before, um, but it'll be launched in Carlo in the next six weeks. Um, and he would just like you to know that the spirit world is healthy in Ireland and religion hasn't dogged it down to the last. It's doing really, really well. Oh, he fantastic. Runs a, he runs a spiritual group and he's a 
great man and he is the guy who introduced me to you oh that's wonderful and patty i know you're listening right now i would love to have you as a guest on the show uh and also for our listeners you may be someone who wants to be a guest on our show and you don't have to have a book written you just have to have some stories of why you know life after death is real and have an intent to help others on their journey. That's all I ask. If somebody is interested in being a guest on the show, email me, sandrachamplain at gmail.com. So lastly, I want to just say to our listener, thank you for taking the time to listen. I, I love hearing about people's journeys and even hearing from you the difference that these episodes make in your life. I've gotten some beautiful messages, uh, email and even the comments on our, when the shows air on YouTube. So thank you for that. And as a reminder, you can go to we don't die radio.com and you can click on all the past episodes. If you listen on iTunes, they only keep the last 100, but we have well over 160 episodes that, uh, like, like Alec had said, grief can bring you into a dark place. And I know many people have um, hit such a painful place that may not have hurt themselves, but have considered it. And I can't even tell you how many emails that I've gotten that people said this show saved their lives and uh, they chose not to do physical harm because of the hope that that's been given. So that is my passion. That is why I share to make lives a little brighter and to know that you're not alone. And so in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So I want to really thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.